this is now the fourth in a series of um, Christian biographies. Um, can you remember the first one? Adoniram Judson. He was a uh, missionary to Burma. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who stood up against the Nazis. This is a teacher of me coming out. Um, <clears throat> the third one was David Brainerd, who um, was a missionary to the North American Indians. And today we're going to look at uh, George Muller, um, who is probably a, a better known figure um, in the annals of Christian service. Um, and he's very well known for establishing orphanages uh, in in England, but um, there's a lot more to George Muller than that. So, um, one by now we should be starting to see a bit of an emerging pattern. If you've heard all three biographies so far, um, all the people that we've looked at were people who took God's word seriously. They were people of prayer, and they were people who suffered, and uh, that's certainly the case. Um, with George Muller. Um, George Muller lived almost the entire 19th century. He was a Christian evangelist and director of the Ashley Down Orphanage in Bristol, England. And he cared for over 10,000 orphans in his life. He was well known for providing an education to the children under his care to the point where he was accused of raising the poor above their natural station in life. He also established 117 schools which offered Christian education to over 120,000 children, many of them being orphans. He was a native German, a Prussian. He was born in Kroppenstedt on September the 27th, 1805. His father was an unbeliever and George grew up a liar and a thief, by his own testimony. His mother died when he was 14, and he records no impact that this loss had on him except that while she was dying, he was roving the streets with his friends, half intoxicated. He went on living a wayward life and then found himself in prison for stealing when he was 16 years old. His father paid to get him out, beat him, and took him to live in another town. Mueller used his academic skills to make money by tutoring in Latin, French and mathematics. Finally, his father sent him to the University of Hull to study divinity and prepare for the ministry because that would be a good living. Neither he nor George had any spiritual aspirations. Of the 900 divinity students in Hull, Mueller later estimated that maybe nine feared the Lord. Then, on a Saturday afternoon, in the middle of November 1825, when Mueller was 20 years old, he was invited to a Bible study and, by the grace of God, felt the desire to go. And he says this, It was to me as if I had found something after which I had been seeking all my life long. Immediately, I wished to go. They read the Bible sang, prayed and read a printed sermon. To his amazement, Mueller said, the whole made a deep impression on me. I was happy, though if I'd been asked why I was happy, I could not have clearly explained it. I better turn this little gadget on here. 
He said, I have not the least doubt that on that evening God began a work of grace in me. That evening was the turning point in my life. But there was another turning point four years later for which Mueller was absolutely, which for Mueller was absolutely decisive in shaping the way he viewed God and the way he did ministry. He came to England in the hope of being a missionary with the London Missionary Society, arriving in London on the 19th of March, 1829. Soon he found his theology and ministry convictions turning away from the London Missionary Society. In the meantime, a momentous encounter happened. He became sick, what we might call a providential illness, and in the summer of 1829... He went for recovery to a town called Tynemouth. There he met a pastor and evangelist named Henry Craig, and you can see a picture of Henry Craig up on the screen there, who became his lifelong friend. Through the instrumentality of this brother, the Lord bestowed a great blessing upon me, for which I shall have cause to thank him throughout eternity. Mueller returned to London in September, but after 10 days started to feel unwell again. Having ended his association with the London Missionary Society, he returned to Teenmouth and preached several times for Craig, which led to a number of the congregation asking him to stay and be the minister of the chapel of Ebenezer Chapel in Sheldon, Devon, on a salary of £55 per annum. On the 7th of October, 1830, he married Mary Groves. At the end of October, he renounced his regular salary, believing that the practice could lead to church members giving out of duty, not desire. He also eliminated the renting of church pews, arguing that it gave unfair prestige to the rich. Mueller moved to Bristol on the 25th of May, 1832, to begin working at Bethesda Chapel. Along with Henry Craig, he continued preaching there until his death, even while devoted to his other ministries. In 1834, he founded the Scriptural Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad with the goal of aiding Christian schools and missionaries, distributing the Bible and Christian tracts and providing day schools, Sunday schools and adult schools all upon a scriptural foundation. By the end of February 1835, there were five day schools, two for boys and three for girls. Not receiving government support and only accepting unsolicited gifts, This organisation received and dispersed £1,381,171, that's over $170 million in today's terms, by the time of Mueller's death, primarily using the money for supporting the orphanages and distributing about 285,000 Bibles, 1,459,000 New Testaments, and 244,000 other religious texts which were translated into 20 other languages. The money was also used to support other faith missionaries around the world such as Hudson Taylor and that work continues to this day. The work of Mueller and his wife with orphans began in 1836 with the preparation of their own rented home at 6 Wilson Street, Bristol for the accommodation of 30 girls. Soon after, three more houses in Wilson Street were furnished, not only for girls but also for boys and younger children, eventually increasing the capacity for children who could be cared for to 130. In 1845, as growth continued, the neighbours complained about the noise and disruption to the public utilities. 
So Mueller decided that a separate building designed to house 300 children was necessary. And in 1849, at Ashley Down, Bristol, the home opened. The architect commissioned to draw up the plans asked if he might do, do so gratuitously. By the 26th of May 1870, 1,722 children were being accommodated in five homes. Now, this is something that we need to note. Through all this, Mueller never made requests for financial support, nor did he go into debt, even though the five homes cost over £100,000 to build. Many times he received unsolicited food donations only hours before they were needed to feed the children, further strengthening his faith in God. For example, on one well-documented occasion, they gave thanks for breakfast when all the children were sitting at the table, even though there was nothing to eat in the house. As they finished praying, the baker knocked on the door with sufficient bread, fresh bread to feed everyone and the milkman gave them plenty of fresh milk because his cart broke down in front of the orphanage. Although he never asked any person, only God, for anything, Mueller asked those who did support his work to give a name and address in order that a receipt might be given. The receipts were printed with a request that the receipt be kept until the next annual report was issued in order that the donor might confirm the amount reported with the amount given. Every single gift was recorded, whether a single farthing, £3,000 or an old teaspoon. Accounting records were scrupulously kept and made available for scrutiny. Every morning after breakfast, there was a time of Bible reading and prayer, and every child was given a Bible upon leaving the orphanage, together with a tin trunk containing two changes of clothing. The children were dressed well and educated. Mueller even employed a school's inspector to maintain high standards. In fact, many claimed that nearby factories and mines were unable to obtain enough workers because of his efforts in securing apprenticeships, professional training and domestic service positions for the children old enough to leave the orphanage. When he started in 1834, there were accommodations for 3,600 orphans in all of England and twice that many children under eight were in prison. One of the great effects of Mueller's ministry was to inspire others so that 50 years after Mr Mueller began his work, at least 100,000 orphans were cared for in England alone. There are other ministries. In 1834, when he was 28, he founded the Scripture Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad, as we mentioned before, because he was disillusioned with the post-millennialism, the liberalism and the world, worldly strategies like going into debt of existing mission organisations. Five branches of this institute developed. There were schools for children um, and adults to teach Bible knowledge. The second was Bible distribution. The third was missionary support. The fourth was tract and book distribution. And the fifth uh, the well-known orphanages to board, clothe and scripturally educate, educate destitute children who have lost both parents by death. He did all this while he was preaching three times a week from 1830 to 1898, at least 10,000 times. Then there was his missionary work. Uh, following the, the death of his first first wife Mary in 1870 and his subsequent marriage to Susanna Grace Sanger in 1871, Mueller fulfilled a lifelong dream of missionary work. Over the next 17 years, until he was 87, he travelled to 42 countries, 
preaching on average of once a day and addressing some three million people. Mueller always expected to pay for their fares and accommodation from the unsolicited gifts given for his own use. However, if someone offered to pay his hotel bill en route, Mueller recorded this amount in his accounts. He travelled over 200,000 miles, which was an incredible achievement for pre-aviation times. His language abilities allowed him to preach in English, French and German, and his sermons were translated into the host languages when he was unable to use those languages. I want to just turn, um, oops, went wrong way. Just turn to um, the theological base upon which Mueller's work was um, was founded. The theology that guided um, George Mueller's work is not widely known, but was shaped by an experience in his mid twenties when he came to prize the Bible alone as his standard for judgment. He records in his narratives that. The word of God alone is our standard of judgment in spiritual things, that it can be explained only by the Holy Spirit and that in our day, as well as in former times, he is the teacher of his people. From scripture he came to understand that the Father chose us before the foundation of the world, that in him that wonderful plan of our redemption originated and that he also appointed all the means by which it was to be brought about. Further, that the Son to save us, had fulfilled the law to satisfy its demands and with it also the holiness of God, that he had borne the punishment due to our sins and had thus satisfied the justice of God. He determined to lay aside commentaries and almost every other book and to simply read the word of God and to study it. The result of this was that the first evening, this is a quote from him, that I shut myself into my room to give myself to prayer and meditation over the scriptures I learned more in a few hours than I'd done during a period of several months previously. And it's said that he actually read the uh, the Bible cover to cover over 200 times um, throughout his life. Mueller wrote frequently about the stewardship of money and the non-reliance on earthly riches and how God would bless the man who kept these principles and felt that laying his own experiences bare would prove the truth of his claims. His personal income from unsolicited gifts, because he refused any kind of salary, rose from £151 in 1831 to more than £2,000 in 1870, but he retained only around £300 a year for himself and his family, and the rest he gave away. William Henry Harding said, The the world, dull of understanding, has has even yet not really grasped the mighty principle upon which Mueller acted but it is inclined to think of him merely as a nice old gentleman who loved children, a sort of glorified guardian of the poor, who with the passing of the years may safely be spoken of in the language of newspaper headlines as a prophet of philanthropy. To describe him thus, however, is to degrade his memory, is to miss the high spiritual aim and the wonderful spiritual lesson of his life. It is because the carnal mind is incapable of apprehending the spiritual truth that the world regards the orphan houses only with the languid interest of mere humanitarianism and remains oblivious of their extraordinary witness to the faithfulness of God. He had been married twice. Once uh, He married Mary Groves when he was 25 and to Susanna Sanger when he was 66. Mary bore him four children. Two were stillborn. One son, Elijah, died when he was a year old. 
His daughter Lydia married James Wright, who succeeded Mueller as the head of the Institute, but she died in 1890 at 57 years old. Five years later, Mueller lost his second wife just three years before he died, and so he outlived his family and was left alone with his saviour, his church, and 2,000 children. He had been married to Mary for 39 years and to Susanna for 23 years. He preached Mary's funeral sermon when he was 64, and he preached Susanna's funeral sermon when he was 90. And now I just want to move on to what I consider to be uh, a most extraordinary and, and important um, thing that he said. Um, Mueller distinguished between the extraordinary gift of faith and the more ordinary grace of faith. He constantly insisted that he did not have the gift of faith when people put him on a pedestal just because he would pray for his own needs and the needs of the orphans and the money would arrive in remarkable ways. And he said this, Think not, dear reader, that I have the gift of faith, that is, the gift of which we read in 1 Corinthians 12.9 and which is mentioned along with the gifts of healing, the working of miracles, prophecy, and that on that account I am able to trust in the Lord. It is true that the faith which I am enabled to exercise is altogether God's own gift. It is true that he alone supports it and that he alone can increase it. It is true that moment by moment I depend upon him for it and that if I were only one moment left to myself, my faith would utterly fail. But it is not true that my faith is that gift of faith which is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 12, 9, verse 9 and 36. The reason he is so adamant about this is that his whole life, especially in the way he supported the orphans by faith and prayer without asking anyone but God for money, was consciously planned to encourage Christians that God could really be trusted on upon to meet their needs. We will never understand George Muller's passion for the orphan ministry if we don't see that the good of the orphans was second to this. He makes that explicit over and over in his narratives. He said the orphan houses exist to display that God can be trusted and to encourage believers to take him at his word. This was a deep sense of calling with Mueller. He said that God had given him the mercy in being able to take God by his word and to rely upon it. He was grieved that so many believers were harassed and distressed in mind or brought guilt on their consciences on account of not trusting in the Lord. This grace that he had to, had to trust God's promises and this grief that so many believers didn't trust his promises shaped Mueller's entire life. This was his supreme passion to display with open proofs that God could be trusted with the practical affairs of life. This was the higher aim of building the orphan houses and supporting them by asking God, not people, for money. And he says this, It seemed to me best done by the establishing of an orphan house it needed to be something that which could be seen even by the natural eye. Now, if I, a poor man, simply by prayer and faith, obtained without asking any individual the means for establishing and carrying on an orphan house, there would be something which, with the Lord's blessing, might be instrumental in strengthening the faith of the children of God, beside being a testimony to the consciences of the unconverted of the reality of the things of God. 
This, then, was the primary reason for establishing the Orphan House. The first and primary object of the work was, and still is, that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith, without anyone being asked by me or my fellow labourers, whereby it may be seen that God is faithful still and hears prayer still. So this was the chief passion and unifying aim of Mueller's ministry, deliver life and lead a ministry in a way that proves that God is real and God is trustworthy and God answers prayer. He built orphanages the way he did to help Christians trust God. He says it over and over again. If Christians simply said Mueller is in a class by himself, he has the gift of faith, then we are all off the hook and he is no longer a proof and inspiration for how we ought to live. Here's what he says. Um, I've gone too far. The, the difference between the gift and the grace of faith can be illustrated thus. The gift of faith would be needed, for instance, to believe that a sick, per, sick person should be restored again though there is no human probability, for there is no promise to that effect. The grace of faith is needed to believe that the Lord will give me the necessities of life if I first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness, for there is a promise to that effect. So in a nutshell, basically he said that the gift of faith is needed where there is no promise and the grace of faith is all that's needed where there is a promise. It should come as no surprise that prayer was the foundation for Mueller's life. For ten years, he explained, he went at this backward. Formerly, when I rose, I began to pray as soon as possible and generally spend all of my time till breakfast in prayer. The result, often having suffered much from wandering of mind for the first ten minutes, I think we can all relate to that, or a quarter of an hour or even half an hour, I only then began really to pray. So Mueller changed his pattern and made a discovery which sustained him 40 years. Um, I began to meditate on the New Testament from, from the beginning, early in the morning, searching into every verse for the sake of obtaining food for my own soul. The result I have found almost invariably is this, that after a very few minutes my soul has been led to confession or to thanksgiving or to intercession or to supplication so that though I did not, as it were, give myself to prayer but to meditation, yet it turned almost immediately more or less into prayer. Mueller prayed about everything and expected each prayer to be answered. One example was when, there was, when one of the orphan houses' boilers stopped working. Mueller needed to have it fixed. This was a problem because the boiler was bricked up and the weather was worsening with each day. So he prayed for two things. Firstly, that the workers he had hired would have a mind to work throughout the night and secondly, that the weather would let up. On the Tuesday before the work was due to commence, <clears throat> a bitter north wind still blew, but in the morning before the workmen arrived, a southerly wind began to blow and it was so mild that no fires were needed to heat the buildings. That evening, the foreman of the contractor company attended the site to see how he might speed things along and instructed the men to report back first thing in the morning to make an early resumption of work. The team leader stated that they would prefer to work through the night and the job was done in 30 hours. And there's many, many other examples. Um, if you read through 
um, the biographies, you'll you'll see again. I'm not going to read them all, but uh, you'll see again and again that Mueller prayed and God answered the prayer. George Mueller died on March the 10th, 1898, at the age of 92. He saw the Great Great Awakening of 1859. He did follow-up work for D.O. Moody, preached for Charles Spurgeon, and inspired the missionary faith of Hudson Taylor. He spent most of his life in Bristol, England, and pastored the same church there for for 66 years. He was a maverick not only in his church life, but in almost all the areas of his life. But his eccentricities were almost almost all large-hearted and directed outward for the good of others. A.T. Pearson, who wrote a biography on him, said George Mueller devised large and liberal things for the Lord's cause. From the end of his travels in 1892, when he was 87, until his death in March of 1898, he preached in his church and worked for the Scripture Knowledge Institute. At the age of 92, not long before he died, he wrote, I have been able every day and all the day to work and with that ease as 70 years since. He led a prayer meeting at his church on the evening of Wednesday, March the 9th, 1898. The next day a cup of tea was taken to him at 7 in the morning, but no answer came to the knock on the door. He was found dead on the floor beside his bed. The funeral was held the following Monday in Bristol, where he had served for 66 years. Tens of thousands of people reverently stood along the route of the simple procession. Men left their workshops and offices. Women left their elegant homes or humble kitchens, all seeking to pay a last token of respect. A thousand children gathered for a service at Orphan House Number 3. They had now, for a second time, lost a father. The eccentric pastor and orphan lover was gone. So what can we learn from the life of George Muller? George Muller, more than any other Christian I know of, accurately reflected the whole heart of God that Jesus modelled. It seems to me that many people today, including some who would claim to be Christians, want to pick and choose which Jesus they will believe in and which parts of the Bible they will take seriously. There are some who espouse a liberal left-leaning ideology who are attracted to Jesus' works of social reform, the healings, his inclusivity of minority groups, his criticism of the ruling elite. But they may be less enamoured with his claims to be the only way to God, his statements about bringing division rather than peace, or his many statements about sin, heaven and hell. They may not like what the Bible has to say about homosexuality or adultery, so they ignore it. In doing so, they are more or less telling God what he should like and not like. On the other hand, there are those who lean more to a conservative right ideology. Their Jesus is more black and white, the Jesus who overturned tables in the temple, the evangelical fire and brimstone Jesus. They believe that God helps those who help themselves. And the sure evidence of God's goodness goodness is their material prosperity. The work ethic reigns supreme. In the United States, they are Republicans or even Tea Party adherents. They place less importance on the biblical call for the care of widows and orphans, the needy and the downcast. George Mueller did not pick and choose which Jesus he would follow. 
His concern for the physical and social needs of the disadvantaged of his day was inseparable from his concern for their eternal destiny. For him, taking God's word seriously meant reaching out to people at their point of need, including their physical, social, intellectual and spiritual needs. And above else, he desired that his life reflect glory not on himself, but on God. In effect, George Muller was a conduit. He was an empty vessel and he wanted God to fill him up and the overflow to affect the lives of many. And, and, and God certainly did that. And I'll let George Muller have the closing word of exhortation and plea for us to join him in the path of radical joyful faith. My dear Christian reader, will you not try this way? Will you not know for yourself the preciousness and the happiness of this way of casting all your cares and burdens and necessities upon God? This way is as open to you as to me. Everyone is invited and commanded to trust in the Lord, to trust in him with all his heart and to cast his burden upon him and to call upon him in the day of trouble. Will you not do this, my dear brethren in Christ? I long that you may do so. I desire that you may taste the sweetness of that state of heart in which while surrounded by difficulties and necessities, you can yet be at peace because you know that the living God, your Father in heaven, cares for you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we uh, are humbled by the faith of George Muller. We uh, dare not compare ourselves to him and yet he was just an empty vessel that he uh, that you filled and having filled overflowed to those around him lord we just pray that you will help us to take some lessons from uh, the life of this wonderful man uh, that we will um, not by our own wisdom or strength try to do your work but just allow you to work in us we pray that you will um, make us conduits for your grace to those around us, those that we spend time with each day, and we pray this in your name. Amen.